Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Turn with me to the book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 17 for a few minutes this morning. And uh, I just, I want to encourage those of you who felt God doing something this morning. And I, I shared that, David, that sense that there was a, a new freedom. And I think it, I think it has to do, I'm seeing that woven in from Tuesday nights, I'm seeing people taking the chains off the Lord. Um, you know, I think it was last Tuesday or the week before, and we were just struck by this thought that, you know, so often we pray and we sing and we intercede and we appeal to heaven um, for chains to be taken off us. But uh, it, it struck me that maybe some of us, we have chains on him. We, we have restrictions and limitations and jail cells around what the Lord can and cannot do, you know, in certain times of the week, he gets to spend some time out in the yard, you know what I'm saying? And it, we're like, well, this is when you can work out. This is when you can, you know, flex your stuff, God, but not the rest of the week. It's back in and um, G block and uh, okay, never mind, dad jokes, <laughs> but, but we, we started to pray towards this in kind of a different way on Tuesday night that that we would take the, the restrictions off the Father. And man, what follows prayers like that is intense stuff. And I just see God doing it. Do not be afraid of the Lord kicking stuff up in your life. Do not be afraid of God, you know, starting to get rowdy. And, uh, and it's looking like there's going to be a prison break or at least a riot up in there. Because I, I think that for such a time as this, saints, we're living in a season right now when the Lord is saying, I can do this if you let me out of these handcuffs. Um, I can be this if you let me out of this cell. So anyway, Luke 17, that was also a plug for Tuesday nights because they are getting pretty hot. Tuesday nights at 7. Luke chapter 17, we're going to just begin reading. We're going to be talking about the kingdom and we're going to be talking about Jesus uh, and his second coming. And uh, this is something with everything that's going on culturally and in the news and, uh, you know, between nations and armies and wars and rumors of wars and shortages and famines and, uh, you know, crazy things that are all around us. I am not, if you know me by now, you know that I am not a reactionary preacher. Um, I don't believe in reactionary Christianity. I don't believe that just because something's happening culturally means that we need to bend our, our, our messages or our truth or the word of God around whatever's happening. None of this takes the Lord by surprise. And I am a firm believer that when we are just faithful Christians, that we ought not even be shaken or swayed by what's going on around us. Much to the chagrin of many people that have come and many have gone through this church, um, we're not going to preach sermon series based on, you know, what the, what, what the different interpretations of who Russia is in the Bible just because Russia's on the news. Um, we're going to continue to go after God and we're going to continue to pour out our stuff and make space and make room for him to do what he wants to do. Okay. Okay. Uh, but as I was led in here this morning, and, and you know that, that 
we are coming close, right? This is, these are the last days. This is the, this is the end, okay? Um, and uh, yeah, and I'm excited about it. I'm not like this guy that's like, oh, like, we should be nervous and let's hold these prayer vigils because it's Y2K. Did anybody spend an all-night prayer vigil for Y2K? Because I did. I did. I got, you guys know this, I got baptized in the Holy Ghost in an Assembly of God church, and I remember when I was like, I was in middle school during Y2K, right? Or maybe a freshman in high school, I don't know. And, and, and we were, I remember, we did the all-night prayer thing, and we're thinking planes are going to come falling out of the sky, and the internet is going to crap the bed, and money's not going to work anymore, and people had MREs lined up. I remember I was talking to Pastor Brackett, talking about their church still has MREs from Y2K. And, uh, and so I just, uh, I love how we just constantly surprise. We think we've got it figured out. And the second we think we've got it figured out, the Lord says, eh, wrong answer. So let the Lord say that to you, okay? When you, when you finally feel like you get it figured out, just let the Lord surprise you and correct you and rebuke you if you need it and, and, uh, and just keep going, okay? Here we go, chapter 17. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees in verse 20 as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say in verse 21, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Well, this is interesting, Lord, because you've told us before that the kingdom does come with signs. You've said there are signs. So what do you mean the kingdom of God is not coming with signs? Because you've told us that there would be signs. You've told us that just as in people can predict the weather and people can look at the skies and see this thing and that thing, well, there are signs, right? There are signs, but there aren't the signs that the Pharisees wanted. There aren't the signs that the Pharisees were looking for. Jesus said the kingdom of God is in your midst. You know what a better translation of that is? Within your soul. Entos. It's a Greek word, entos. And midst, I think sometimes we hear the word midst, and because we're constantly trying to externalize everything about our faith, because God forbid it actually sink deep and start to take up space in our selfish lives, we, we hear the word midst, and we think, well, that just still means like around me, like somewhere close. I'm still looking. In your midst, it, it's, it does not mean anything but within, within. In fact, this word entos in the Greek is only used two places in scripture, right here and in Matthew, when Jesus is cussing out the Pharisees and he says, you're washed on the outside, but the inside's nasty. Entos, it's still dirty. Your soul, your innermost being, the very place where the kingdom wants to reside, hasn't been washed yet. It's interesting, isn't it? How many generations have lived and died looking with eyes for a kingdom in front of them while missing with their hearts the kingdom within? How many churches? How many centuries? How many generations? It's like, it's like laid out for us how bad, how far off they were when Jesus came in. 
and even and even in the way he ministered and and interacted with people it was clear that he was was driving the heart of the father home home yes home into where it belongs our soul the depths of who we are even if our eyes have to be disappointed along the way even if our politics have to be disappointed along the way even if our our prosperity gospels and our, our, our uh, you know, all the different things that we've come up with to make it tangible. It's not that it won't be tangible. It's that it has to be the inside first. And he says it to the Pharisees. It, once the inside is clean, let the cleanliness work its way out. In toss. The problem with signs, <laughs> we talked about signs years ago. I think we were back in the, in the Morning Star or maybe the other end of the plaza. But uh, we talked about signs. The problem with signs is that you can see a sign and still be really far off. Yes, sir. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> There's a sign in East Providence for south of the border. All right. <laughs> anybody? That's a southern joke. South of the border, it's like this really rundown, like decrepit amusement park that's like a roadside attraction. And somehow... Well, not somehow. I know how. They haven't put any money into the actual park because it all goes into putting signs up 2,000 miles away for south of the border. It's like Wiley, you saw it down there? It's like Wiley Coyote when he lands on the moon and it says Earth. That way. 2,765, you know, light years away or wherever. And it's like, man... This is the problem with chasing signs. This is the problem with the signs the Pharisees were looking for. If we could just see you turn up and turn out and turn some tricks for us, Jesus, we'd go along with this thing, except Jesus is saying, the thing that you're looking for, you're not going to see. The thing that you need to find, you're going to miss. It's already happening. It's already happening. I think some of us in this room, I know I am in this party. We miss what God's doing in us. We underestimate what God's doing in us. The mustard seed thing that becomes the grandest thing in the field. We miss it. We underestimate it. We've got this superiority complex that we think God must have too. So we impose and project it on him and we say, well, if it's going to be God, it's going to be big. Well, I'll tell you, it's going to be big, but it's going to be his big not your big, okay? The problem with signs is you can see them and it still be far off. I feel like over the course of the church, you know, we, uh, we have seen things. We have seen signs. Not our church, the church, the big C, capital C church, the global church. And as we see them, we end up getting more distracted, than we do focused on where it is we're actually going. Jesus goes on to say in verse 22, he says then to his disciples. So he's talking to the Pharisees, and I want you to see how the message changes, okay? The truth doesn't change, but the delivery changes because he goes from Pharisees who are saying, sign, 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 show me a sign, to his disciples who know that the kingdom does come with signs. Watch. In verse 22, he says, the days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they'll say to you, look there, look here. Watch this. Don't go away 
and do not run after them. For just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Sign chasers versus God chasers. It's a big difference. And he's warning his disciples. He's saying, listen, some of the stuff that the Pharisees want to see, they are going to see because God's not going to stop doing what he wants to do just because some idiot's going to get distracted by it. I'm going to say that one more time. God's not going to stop doing what he wants to do just because many of us are going to get distracted by it. Listen, do you not think, when, when we see things like the end days and the end times, do you not think that when we see things like the love of many will grow cold, how will that happen? False teachers, false doctrines, false signs, or maybe real signs. The problem is, is that a false doctrine, a doctrine of demon that we talked about, demons that we talked about a couple weeks ago, what he does, because he cannot create, he will corrupt. He will take a true sign. He will take a, a true wonder, a true miracle, a true intervention and interaction from heaven and reroute the people of God. We've got to start to understand how this works when becoming sign chasers versus God chasers. I want to talk about lightning for a second because I've never really um, honed in on Jesus comparing himself and the final days um, to uh, his interaction with the world like lightning. And while, yes, there is uh, the immediate, uh, in the twinkling of an eye and the, the parousia, we see the rapture, we see, you know, and I know that there's all in this room, so many different backgrounds and teachings and interpretations of what the rapture is going to look like and how it's going to come and apocalyptic understanding of, of tribulation and when will the church be taken out and how will the church be taken out. But I want to turn your attention real quick for just a minute to Jesus saying, it's going to look like lightning. I started to get into some lightning and I haven't studied anything on lightning since like middle school science, but I started doing research on lightning for some reason. I don't know why, because it's in here and I'm like, lightning, that's interesting. Uh, okay, let's go with this. So lightning originates um, in the clouds where there is an excessive buildup of positive electricity, okay? And as it builds up, it's looking for a place with negative electricity. Ne I'm sorry, negative energy. And so it seeks out a place to strike. It seeks out a place to release that buildup. But how it does is what gets crazy, okay? So as it starts to build up, it's initiated in regions where electrical forces are extremely strong. But that positive thing in the cloud and the negative somewhere else the connection happens because that electricity becomes so strong that the insular properties of the air start to break down. See, the air is an insulator and it likes to keep electricity. It likes to keep power. It likes to keep energy where it is. 
And so it insulates between heaven and earth. You know what the Bible calls Satan, right? The prince of the power of the air. The prince of the air. But in the final days, in the final days, there is an electricity brewing in heavenly places that is looking for lightning rods. It's looking for places where the same counter electricity is brewing down here, a longing, a yearning to be met, to be balanced, to receive the release from heaven. And when those two things become strong enough, all the insulation starts to break down. And that thing, it starts to beat into electrons, knocking them loose from the molecules and the atoms that are in the air. And as those things start to get loose and start to get crazy, they start to hit other things. And it creates what they call an electron avalanche, where a line, which the diameter of a lightning bolt is a half an inch to an inch, and, and, and can run from three or four miles up to 20 miles and then hundreds of miles when it goes laterally, which is another crazy thing that I just, I can't preach on lightning all day, but I want to so bad. And so, and so somehow there's this narrow place, this narrow focused stream of loosened up electrons, of a weakened insulation between heaven and earth, and it strikes comes out of one place and it lands in another the problem is when we start chasing it you find out pretty quickly lightning doesn't really usually strike the same place twice but you know what's really strange it will strike the same person once you've been struck by lightning there's something about your body that draws it do you know that not nuts if you get struck by lightning you're more likely to get struck by lightning just when you were praying that it never hits the same place twice. It's probably going to find you again, but you won't be in the same place twice. But it doesn't matter. Because whatever in you was insulated, whatever in you was uptight already got knocked loose. Dear God in heaven. Why did, see, this is it. We could just stop right here because I feel like I want to teach science at King's Academy. Can I, can I put my name in? I want to throw my name in the ring. Does, did you say fired already? Oh. oh. I'm just so used to hearing that from the elders over the years. Okay. I love this. Jesus keeps going on. He goes on. Y'all are getting excited now, but it's just getting ready to crash, okay? It's coming down right now. Verse 25. I just, I love this because the Lord is so good about just bringing things back to earth all the time. But first... <laughs> They're like, yeah, hit me, hit me, put me in, coach. I'm ready, I'm ready. The disciples are getting all psyched up. And Jesus says, but first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Oh, oh, back to that, Lord. Okay. Yes, back to that. I want you to write something down if you're writing things down this morning. There is no obtaining the glory of the crown without first the detaining of the shadow of the cross. There is no obtaining the glory of the crown without first the detaining of the shadow of the cross. See, this, this was the problem. This, was, this has always been the problem. This, I'll dare say, this will always be the problem. 
until it's over. The Pharisees were looking for the signs for the glory of the crown. They all wanted the glory of the crown. Politically, theologically, they all wanted the glory of the crown. The problem was it doesn't come without the shadow of the cross. The shadow of the cross has been what's turned away so many people, thousands, countless generations, because they come running towards the mountaintop only to find that there is the deepest, darkest night of the soul between here and there. And in that valley place, in that shadow, that's where we find Jesus leading us to get to that high place. And saints, I just, um, I want to encourage you. For those of you that feel like you're in the shadow right now, you're in the shadow of your own cross, you're exactly where the Lord wants you. Do not be discouraged. Do not be dismayed. Don't get distracted by this. And don't start looking at somebody else that looks like they already got their glory. And you're saying, where's my crown? Where's my crown? Listen. If you, if you listen to Pastor John, what you're going to find out is you only get a crown, so you have something to throw at the feet of Jesus. Didn't you write that book? You only get a crown, so you have something to throw at the feet of Jesus. But you don't get a crown unless you're willing to log the time at the foot of the cross. And saints... When Jesus, he keeps interjecting. If you follow his teachings with the disciples, he keeps circling back around to, here's what's going to happen. Here's what the prophet said. Here's what's going to happen. Here's how it's got to be. Here's what's, here's what's going to happen. And he's not, he's not a doomsday preacher by any means. He's a realist. And he's talking to his disciples about not getting distracted by the crown so much so that they miss where the real glory is. The cross. But first, he must suffer and be rejected. Adding insult to injury, right? Some of you guys, you, you, you may feel like the suffering's over, but isn't it interesting how the rejection sort of lingers? Some of y'all have been through some yielding ministry and some deliverance ministry, and you've, you've watched the Lord remove the rejection from your life. But I know that there are others among us in here and, uh, and that, that's something that's still taking up space. That's something that still takes up room, room that the Lord wants. And I would encourage you guys, do not live your life harboring that rejection. Do not leave one square inch of your real estate designated for rejection. That is what Satan has been trying to, to get the people of God to feel because if you can feel rejection from anybody, then you can feel it from everybody. And you start to paint yourself in this picture as one who is rejected. First of all, Jesus was rejected. He says, none of this stuff happens the lightning, the, the, the kingdom, none of this stuff happens without rejection. So don't be afraid of rejection, but you're not to stay there. 
In verse 26, he goes on and he gets into um, a part of the teaching right here that it starts to get interesting. And this is some of this as we read through this, it'll sound familiar to you who, uh, you know, grew up in the 70s when like every message was about the second coming. And remember the Thief in the Night series? I, I love referencing it all the time. I'm not sure how biblical it actually was, but I know those sideburns were really something special. And so if you haven't seen that, go check it out from your library, your old church library or something. I don't, we don't have one, but we got to pull that back out. He starts to say this, and he says in verse 26, And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Verse 28, it was the same as it happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were taking selfies and posting them. <laughs> they were planting and they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. I thought you said Jesus wasn't a doom and gloom. Well, keep reading. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Okay. Noah and Lot, two, two guys, lived significantly apart from each other in history. But I want to point out to you that there was a common thing that saved them. They were both living each in their own version of the last days. For Noah, it's pretty clear. The whole earth was going to be destroyed. It was, it was, a, it was a, 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 a foreshadow of the last days to come. And in his last, which weren't his last days, but the world's last days around him, the thing that saved him was not the ark. It was the fact that he leaned in to the Father. The ark was just a vehicle. He leaned into God. Lot, same thing. When everybody's buying, this is what Jesus is pointing out. Everybody's buying and selling and, and eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage. But there was a man who leaned into God. And it was that leaning in that saved him. And saints, I'm going to tell you, when I say this morning that there's never been a more important time that we draw close to the Lord... It will be your leaning in that saves you. It will be your drawing close that saves you. It will be your intimacy with the Lord that sustains you through this season. Whether the rapture is around the corner or it's just another foreshadow of what's to come. We are living in some version of the last days, whether it's the last days of America, whether it's the last days of it all, whether it's just the last days of New England. Don't get caught up in that. Just lean in. Just lean in. I'm going to say this because I think, because it has a box around it in my notes. <laughs> I want to believe that every, I want to say, I want to say, I'm going to tell you what I want to say first. What I want to say is that everybody who calls HPC home, 
that we're just so close and we've just got it so figured out and our prayer meetings are so good and our worship is so high and these messages are just so good. (laughs) What I want to say is that we're all where we need to be and we will all be saved and we will all experience the, the, the glory of the crown because we were faithful through the shadow of the cross. But saints, here's the truth. This church is too big for me to sit up here and pretend like somebody in this room isn't going to hell. Don't say amen to that, mom. Don't agree with me. I'm telling you, you didn't want to hear that coming in today, did you? Zach, it's like spring, you know? Can we talk about life? I'm talking about eternal life. And this church is too big. There's too many people in this room for me to be up here foolishly talking like not one of us is going to hell. That's just not real. Lean in. Lean in. The love of many will grow cold in the last days. What that means is that they first loved. They once loved. They once sang the songs and prayed the prayers and showed up to the events and did the whole nine. And somehow... Whether it was the pursuit of signs, whether it was the distraction, whether they just got caught up marrying and burying, whatever it is, they missed the boat, literally. Verse 34. Uh, I'm sorry, verse, uh, let's see, one of these verses. Okay, here we go, 31. Watch this. On that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who's in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife? Everybody's like, ooh, yeah, I remember her. Hooker turned to salt. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Hmm. It's interesting because he goes on to there from there to, to say in verse 34 this the, the traditional like rapture thing like the remember the left behind song you've been left behind i'll tell you nothing's more uplifting than that song <laughs> a piece of bread can buy a bag of gold can we do that for the altar call i'm just kidding don't do it i wish we'd all but you're not ready any kid watch this i tell you I tell you, on that night, on that night, this is interesting because before he says on that day in verse 31, and you're going to see why in just a second. On that day, somebody's going to be on the roof and they can't get their stuff in the house. Somebody else can be out in the field and they can't go back. Watch this. On that night, okay, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. There will be two women grinding. First of all, if there's two women grinding, they're not going. You know what I'm saying? But the grace of, by the grace of the Father. You know what I'm saying? Brandon's shaking his head like you didn't hear that in the Nazarene church. You didn't hear, you didn't hear that in the Nazarene? No. We're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. Two women grinding at the same place, and one will be taken, but by the grace of God, the other one, yeah, will be left. Two men will be out in the field, and one will be taken, and the other will be left. You know what I saw in this that I never saw before? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. If you were wondering, I'm just going to tell you right now what it is. 
They were together. They were together. They were together. The one taken and the one who wasn't, they were together. They were right next to each other in every scenario. It wasn't they were all in one place up in the upper room, and that's how they were taken. Or they were all together in one place in a bomb shelter eating MREs. They were together. And it, and it, I suddenly got a brand new conviction that I never had. Zach, when you're caught up, who are you going to be alongside? Who are you alongside? Look down the thing. The first one. Who are you in bed with? Who are you sleeping with? Have you lived your life in such a way that the person in your bed knows how true the gospel is? Who are you sleeping with? Are you so intimate with the Lord that your intimacy with somebody else reflects that truth? Who are you grinding with? Who are you walking the fields with and working the fields? Is that person going to turn over one day and be surprised? Or are they going to turn over and see you gone and say, oh, they've been telling me this all along. I guess it was true. And a more important question is, why have we lost the art of just talking to people about Jesus? Where did that go? Remember when somebody talked to you about the Lord or maybe you just inherited your faith and it's still somebody else's faith. Why have we lost the art? And I call it an art because it's not a science. Okay, I'm going to say it again. It's not a science. If you've read a textbook on how to talk to people about Jesus, forget everything you've ever learned. It's an art. It's an expression of the relationship that already exists in your soul. It has to be. Oh, my God. I just... Lord, help us. Here, here's where I'm going to close. Let's just stand up. Jamal, just come up here. Start singing that song. That one song. That song you do. You know that one. Okay, real talk. Real talk. Two different things are happening here. In one, we're seeing people taken, caught up, right? We're seeing two people, one taken, one left behind. But before we get there, before we get to that night, there is a day. And in that day, something else is happening. Something I never noticed before until this. In that day, there's a man on his roof. And all his stuff is in the house. And he doesn't have time to get his stuff. In fact, the Greek word that's used there literally means stuff. It does. It's like skuela or something like that. School us. And, and the only specific thing that it's interpreted as ever is sails and tackle and uh, the hardware necessary to sail a ship, which is probably really good if this message was two hours long, but it's not. Somebody say amen. amen. <laughs> on that day, the one who's on the housetop and whose goods are in the house. Everybody say, in the house. In the house. 
must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. As I read it, I sensed the heart of the Lord saying to this church, you've got to rise above your stuff. You've got to get above your stuff to a place where you're so leaned into the Lord. You're so close to the Father. You're living your life because we're being called to a place of radical obedience that if it means you leave your stuff in the house so that you can follow him, that's a sacrifice we're willing to make right now. Right now. Just like that. Right now. You can't even go out and get your phone charger out of your car. You can. I'm not, I'm not saying that right now. I'm just saying. That's the day. This is the day. This is that day. This is the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the radical obedience that we're being called to. Jesus says it more than once. Anybody who puts his hand, can you put the verse back up one more time, please? Anybody who puts his hand to the plow and turns back isn't fit for the kingdom. Anybody who's been walking with Jesus, this is not new talk. For anybody in this room who's been walking with Jesus, if this is your very first Sunday ever in a church, I, I'm not apologizing, but I'm saying see me after class or something. Or see somebody nicer in the lobby. See Pastor Kurt. <laughs> Sign up for School of the Spirit. Anybody who turns back isn't fit for the kingdom. There's some people in this room, and you've got stuff. You've got stuff. Stuff. And you've heard the Lord, and you've followed him up to the high place, and you met him on the rooftop. Some of you guys, as you've been growing closer to the Lord, you, 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 you've, I've watched you in here and I've watched you start to spend more and more time on the rooftop and less and less time in the clutter. Less and less time in the house. But you know that when you move, you got to take it all with you to the next place, to the next place, to the next place. Saints, do not miss the Father's heart here. Before the night, there is a day. This is the day. When you hear what you hear because you're leaning in, but the kingdom is yours because you're willing to leave everything else behind. There are people in this room and you've been called to the field and you've been working a plow, but there's been distractions that have come. There's been monkey wrenches and curveballs and things that you weren't expecting. And you've built for yourself a little cart like the guy who picks up the golf balls at the driving range. So when people keep whacking them out there and then they see you drive out and you start, you know who you are. You aim at that thing. Jesus, help you. But you don't turn back. You don't turn back. You don't turn back. The field God has called you to, the plow he's put in your hands, you don't turn back. There is only forward. There is only upward. There is only onward. You don't turn back. Don't even turn back to question. Don't turn back to regret. I'm preaching to myself right now. You don't turn back. 
you don't turn back. Ministers of the gospel, prophets in the room, and you thought that because you got rejected somewhere meant that it was over. No, that means you're on the right track. Don't turn back. Don't turn back. Evangelists, you're jaded because churches are so consumer-minded now. And nobody cares about the lost anymore. Nobody's talking about winning souls. And so you turn back just to flip somebody the bird because you're angry, disillusioned, and disenchanted. You don't turn back. You don't turn back. Teachers, there's never been a time that we have needed teachers that New England has needed teachers, spirit-filled teachers. Isn't this the academic? Yes, and I don't care. This is the day before the night. This is when the kingdom comes. This is when all the power of heaven is looking for a place to land. It's looking for lightning rods. It's looking for somebody who was struck 30 years ago and you've never been the same ever since. It's looking for the one who says, hit me, I'm open. Don't turn back. Don't turn back. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you have given us a guidebook to the final days in your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is the the Christian's guide to the apocalypse. And I pray, God, that we would get real about what you teach and what you show. God, I pray that we wouldn't be afraid, that we wouldn't make decisions out of fear, that we wouldn't hold up and think we're on our own, but God, that we would stay faithful as you are faithful, that we would work that plow, God, that we would leave behind, God, if it means going back down, God, that we would forget it so that we can only continue to move forward with you. We leave everything behind to follow you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Hit them hard this week. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.